Welcome to the Path 5 Podcast. The Path 5 team is a dedicated group of professionals hailing from diverse backgrounds, all anchored in making the world a safer place. Thanks for joining us while we dive into today's topic. Salam, welkomen, nihama, bonjour, bienvenido. I'm Da Vinci, and uh, I hope you guys are doing well. Thanks for joining us this morning, afternoon, or evening. Uh, grab yourself a bevy of your choice and join us for a fun discussion about what the transition from active duty to civilian life is like. See if that grass is really greener on the other side. We've got a fun discussion tonight. Um, we're talking about the transition from active duty to veteran life. And uh, I'm Da Vinci, your host this evening or this morning. And uh, we're just so, so glad you guys are joining us. Uh, so let's just kick it, kick it right off. Everyone who's been in the military must one day make that decision uh, to, should I stay or should I go now, you know? And you got to make that decision and see if it's right, if the right time to move on or um, whether that's your first enlistment, you know, you've been in for two or three years or you've done it for 25 and it's been your whole life. And it's just something that we all get to that point. And uh, we've got to make that decision as to whether or not we want to stay or we want to go. And we hear all the time stories about people getting out, people staying in. You've got to make that decision for yourself. And that's what we're here to talk about tonight. So uh, Irish and Midas are both joining me this evening, Jetpack as well. And we're all going to talk about our different uh, perspectives, me still being active duty and currently planning on doing the full 20 um you know going all the way to retirement i've got a different perspective than um my fellow teammates here but i just i'm thankful for the guys for jumping on and uh, making this happen we've got a lot of cool perspectives and uh, we're excited to share with you guys uh everybody's unique experience as far as the transition not like uh, the Jenner transition, you know, the active duty to civilian life transition. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's what we're talking about tonight. So, Irish, uh, I think I think I'll uh, I'll call you up to bat first. I'd love to. I think you were the first one out on the team, and I'd love to. I'd love to hear your perspective on what that experience was like and uh, your your reasons behind that decision. Yeah, absolutely. So before I go into my story, uh, I'd like to kind of put some level setting for those who aren't in the military. And uh, there actually might be some good information for those who are in the military, because uh, a few times I've been talking to folks and didn't realize some of this information that I'm about to pass off either. But uh, whether you're going to ETS, resign, retire, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever you decide to do, there are a specific number of discharges you could get when you're exiting service. Uh, the first one being honorable discharge. Typically that's the one you want, get you a job anywhere. Everybody loves a good honorable discharge. Then after that, you can get general discharge under honorable conditions, which after six months, you can actually appeal to get an honorable discharge. Um, so for those people out there who have no idea, that's uh, something you can actually do. So if you're after six months, go ahead and get that done. 
you can get an other than honorable discharge, bad conduct discharge from a courts martial, dishonorable discharge, an entry level separation if for whatever reason you can't make those basic standards at basic training or AIT, uh, medical separation, that could be medical retirement as well, uh, or separation for the convenience of the government. And we all know that if you get one of those, you're a special case. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, many people don't know this, but, you know, even when you're in the military, there is a difference on getting out of the military when you're an enlisted soldier and when you're an officer. So as an enlisted soldier, members, you know, sign up for a contract length. At some point, they might sign an indefinite contract. In that case, they fall in the same requisites as the officers do. But most of the time, they can exit that service when their enlistment ends. So it's three, four, five years, however long they decide to go. As an officer, though, uh, once you're in, you actually have to request um, either retirement or resignation of your commission. Uh, in my case, it took me three years of requesting approval uh, to resign before they accepted my resignation. Um, I decided at that point that I wouldn't accept a commission in the Guard, Reserves, or IRR since I had done my eight-year commitment. Um, but those are some things that most people don't know, is that as an officer, you don't, you can't just get out after four or eight years. You have to get permission from the government to get out. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point, man. I feel like they uh, they hide that one in the fine print very deep in your contractual obligation because I kind of, after watching your struggle on trying to get out of the Army, like when I submitted my resignation letter, um, Initially, I was even told by my brigade commander at that time that uh, they were not going to recommend that I get out because they thought I should go on a company command and all this other shit. And I was like, wait, what? Does that mean I'm basically a captive in the Army? <laughs> because fundamentally, that's what that is. So that that's a great point that you brought up. Definitely. it's There's a lot, a lot of wild stuff that people just don't understand. Yeah, I'm one of those special cases that uh, I put my packet in three times, talked to my brigade commander three times, submitted to HRC three times, and it took to that third time before uh, they accepted it. But if there's one thing the military taught me is, uh, you know, get to yes in any way you can. So I got there. So thank you, Army, for teaching me that lesson. And now I'm out. I'm glad they taught you because I feel like I'm still active and uh, a lot of people haven't learned that lesson yet, but you have not learned that lesson yet. As a logistics yes. officer... It's my pride and joy to always get to yes. So. <laughs> well, I'm proud of you, and I'm grateful. Yeah. Um, but anyway, just getting that background out of the way, uh, for myself, I actually, before I even started submitting my resignation uh, at the five-and-a-half-year five mark, uh, I had already started thinking about getting out early. I kind of saw the writing on the wall that the political side of the house as an officer is just it's crazy. It's insane. Um, and if you're sitting there as an officer and you're saying it's not, then either you're blowing smoke out of your you know, third point of contact or you just have no idea what's going on. Um, yep. But, you know, I, I always enjoyed that deployment life over garrison life. So for my two deployments, year and a half in Afghanistan and whatnot, you know, those were those were all the fun was, you know. Uh, coming back to the train, doing the practice, that's where... I wanted to, you know, I wanted to murder people basically every single time. Usually it was the the field grade officers I had to work with. 
um, as a captain and a log professional in infantry brigade combat team, you had just to get you had to fight to get your your word out there. Um, but the one big one that kind of pulled me and uh, resonated with me throughout my career of that political side of the house and kind of having to have someone behind you to make your word better or stronger. They're not going to just take you at face value for being smart because there's a lot of smart, you know, younger officers that just aren't listened to by their rank. Is that uh, I was a platoon leader, um, a young officer in the army, about a year and a half in, and uh, I was in a unit in the army that is singular in nature. There is only one company within the army that does it. That's the total army, so there's no guard, no reserve, um, no other active companies that actually do this job yeah so as a as a junior first lieutenant at the time i had already planned and executed six or seven operations um i was you know i was briefing general officers uh, at our joint logistics over the shore type um briefings you know early on in my career so i was always getting up in front of them i was helping rewrite the manuals so you know i was very knowledgeable in the system and uh because of that you know, I, my brigade commander and our brigade W5 would always take, you know, a representative from our organization with them for any planning conferences that we were used in. And I happened to be pulled in on a bunch of them. So, you know, I'm sitting in this room for a week with a bunch of captains, majors, lieutenant colonels, colonels, whatnot. You know, I'm trying to tell them how to use my, my unit, how to use it within the, the actual context of the exercise. But, you know, I'm just getting brushed off like a chai boy out there, you know, just Oh, he's got makeup on his face. So and, long, yeah, child yeah, boy. Yeah, Thursday type deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. As an as a still active duty officer, I I feel your pain, man, because that is it's just so frustrating. Because once you, I've, and this is not always true. If you're a major or a flag, you know, um, any kind of other than company grade officer, or if enlisted civilian whatever if you're listening to this conversation a lot of times when you get to that mid to high level manager sometimes you just you, it's like you lose your brain you know you just forget that you've got lieutenants and captains and senior enlisted and mid-level enlisted ranks that are actually out there doing shit and you just disregard them like they're because they don't have the rank that are sitting at the table, just take that second to lean back and listen to them. Like, yeah, that's frustrating, man. I understand that totally. Yeah, that is, and, and you know, that's yeah, brutal. It was nice though, because I got that learning lesson of you need to have someone behind you to, uh, especially as a young kid, you know, if if you have your sugar daddy, so to speak, in the military that's working <laughs> in your organization that will back your word. Yeah, so my colonel, you know, my 06, you know, he looks at me and says. Hey, LT, you know, what are you thinking here? And, you know, it's that revenge is amazing, man. Like, it is the best thing in the world when you sit there and you're looking at all these captains, majors, lieutenant colonels, uh, you know, Navy commanders that kind of ignored you for the entire week. And you look at them and you just ruin their day and say, it's not going to work for these 13 reasons. But by the way, here's the plan I made for you. And, you know, he, he thanks you and, and you just walk out of the room, like drop type deal. And, uh, you know, you're done for the week. But, they're spinning now trying to adjust their plans based off of your schedule, which if they had just listened to you day one, 
you know, they could have saved a whole lot of time. Yeah, it's like, thanks for listening. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and I mean, that's not the only time, and it definitely wouldn't be the only time, even in your career, Da Vinci, that, you know, something like that would happen with you. And I know Midas, it happened a bunch of times with him. But even when I was, you know, stationed with 25th ID out in Hawaii, we did a lot of stuff off island. And I was typically, because I was getting out, uh, I wasn't lined up for command or any of those, but I worked on staff for a long time. Um, so I had all that knowledge as a staff officer. And every time, you know, a new staff officer at the brigade level would roll in, you know, I'd show up to a meeting and start, you know, laying it down. And everybody around the room, minus the new guy, would be like, all right, yeah, cool. And he'd be looking at me like, you know, who the fuck are you? Pardon my French. And, you know, then I'd have to go in the whole spiel of, hey, this is what I right. do. This is what I've been doing for the last two and a half years. Respect yeah. my authority type deal. <laughs> Respect my authority. Uh, generally, you know, the staff sergeant major would be there and be like, you know, sir, he's got this. Don't worry about it type deal. Right. And we'd be good to go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, that political side of the house, you know, drives a lot of officers out of the military. Uh, they just they get burnt out. And yep. generally, if you're a good one, they, they roll you right into the ground. So you, you got to watch out for that kind of stuff. And, you know, for me, you know, I decided to get out after over a little over eight years, take my degree at a master's at the time. I did that when I was on active duty as well. Take my two degrees and, and just deuce out of the Army. Um, didn't have to worry about that reserve or guard time. Um, but, you know, the hard part was that transition piece. Um, getting from the military into the civilian world and making it sound like something that someone in the civilian world would understand, uh, if that makes any sense. And most branches within the military... I know the Army side the best, obviously, but there's a some sort of transition assistance program for the Army. Uh, it's called right. Soldier for Life, uh, SLF TAP. So it's it's a mandatory transition assistance program that everyone who's being discharged from the Army has to go through. So you can already tell how amazing it's going to be, right? Um, Fan-freaking-tastic, man. Yeah, it's the best education you could ever get. Best mandatory fun you've ever heard of. <laughs> I mean, for those who are out and are listening to this, you know, maybe some of this will resonate with you. Maybe you'll agree, disagree. But for me, I, I give the program, you know, it's decent, but I give it like a B minus or C plus overall rating for, for preparing you to get out. Um, you know, it's a very generalized program, which it has to be, especially when you're hitting so many different people, because um, it's it's special. It's designed for an E1 to 05, pretty much. Anywhere higher than that, you're going into the executive program they have, which is specialized for their 06 and GOs. Um, so it's it's one of those things where you kind of lose out on it. The uh, the resume class was pretty good. Um, it definitely wasn't great. But it'll get you into, a, you know, if you're trying to get a college a degree, it'll get you into college. If you're trying to get more of an hourly job, it'll get you that job. Um, but if you're looking to kind of go into one of those jobs that you need a little bit more oomph behind the resume, uh, I'd recommend, especially, uh, you know, the senior NCOs, the, you know, E7s and above, any officers that you kind of reach out and try to find a resume writer to do it for you. Now, for myself, I went with this foundation called the Commit Foundation. Uh, 
it was free. They, they serve veterans. Um, so it was a personalized transition plan for myself, and I worked on and focused on interview techniques and resume writing, and it was amazing. Um, I got to tell you, my resume was crap beforehand, and it was crap when I submitted it to them. And after talking to the resume guy a couple sessions, I, I mean, I got hired in a job, so, you know, I'll take that, I guess. But uh, it's, it was better for myself because I didn't want to lock myself into one of those junior military officer recruiting firms that you might hear about, the JMO recruiting firms. Um, I'm not going to dime any of them out. Let, They're just uh, trying to snap you up, baby. Let Midas or somebody else go into that one. That's right. <laughs> um, but I, I, when I got out, I wanted to travel a little bit. Yeah. You know, I deployed so much. I, I got a crap load of money sitting in the bank account. I just wanted to get out right. before COVID, obviously, boys. But, uh, <laughs> obviously. yeah, I just want to get out and see the world a little bit. Um, so oh, that's a, you know, that's a good point you make though, about those, uh, quote unquote recruiting firms when you're trying to get out of the military. I mean, those guys, because obviously we sign a lot of stuff when we get in the military, when you start doing those tap classes, you know, in the air force, we just call it taps. You know, you've got your SLF tap, everybody's got their own program. But when you start, you enroll in those things, your email goes out to people and it's like, you know, it's like Shawshank. Fresh meat, baby, fresh meat. And they just, they Boy. see you guys coming out and they're, you know, they're ready to go. So not that those programs up. are all bad, but it's definitely something to be aware of that it's not, it's not all it's cracked up to be when they start throwing jobs at you. Like definitely take your time and do your research, which you did. Yeah. You know? so, like all, all those, like the, the JMO recruiting firms, you know, I was with one early in my career when I thought I was going to get out the four year mark and I changed my mind because I wanted to try somewhere different just to make sure it was the thing to do. Um, but they were very pushy, you know, it's not about your timeline. It's about you getting out on their timeline. So for me, right. it, was, it was a big no go. I'm like, nah, dude, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Yeah. Deuces, you know? Sure. Um, but Hey, like I, growing up in the military and, and, you know, going to a military school, not called West Point. Um, you know, I have a, a massive network of friends that I've met uh, all over the place. And, you know, I threw my resume to a couple of buddies of mine, and one of them happened to be working with, for uh, one of the big four consultant firms, and he was able to land me a job there. And by that, I mean he was able to get my foot in the door. He did all the interviews like any normal folk person would do. Apparently did very well, and they, uh, they gave me a job. and still doing, doing that to this day, which is real nice. Yeah. And you and you bring up the the outside contact and the you know the importance because we all know you know we make brothers when we're in the military and and sisters and it's not it's not all about what you know it's also about who you know and you know sometimes that bites us in the ass but that's that's also a fact of life it's not just in the military like you mentioned um, having especially on the officer side, but also on the enlisted side, especially when you get to that senior enlisted level, you know, talking to Sergeant majors or, uh, chief master sergeants, if you're in the air force or, or gunnies in the, in the Marine Corps, you know, chiefs in the Navy, like everybody's got their, got to have a backer when you get to that level and you get to that political side. But, you know, it's not always a bad thing because they're a mentor as well. And then you talked about, you mentioned, you know, having your friend that, you know, had some connections at a company 
how how much of an impact did that have on your decision making process when you were getting ready to leave? You're like, okay, I might have a potential job lined up with XYZ company. Did it have an impact or was it just like a nicety or the um transition process like you're uh, okay i have a little bit of a safety net because i've got a guy that has a contact at this company and did that impact your decision on when you wanted to get out or it was it just kind of all lined up like the stars oh, I mean, aligned if, if i had gotten out when i wanted to it would have been three years ago so that yeah, uh right. you know definitely not lining up a job based on what I was getting out. <laughs> sure yeah. and like i said you know i wasn't looking to start working immediately after i got out i was purposely trying to be unemployed um, and yeah. some people might frown on that, but hell, as a 31-year-old that's been told what to right. do for my entire life, I was ready to go do my own thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I gave him my resume before I got out. Um, like, I, I give out my resume a bunch of, to a bunch of people, you know, I just kind of pass it around uh, to folks that, you know, had positions. We submitted the names. Um, but, you know, I hadn't heard anything about it for a while, and I kind of forgot about it because, again, I wasn't looking. So I was already out, out of the military, sure. you know, back at home with, with the, the mom and, and hanging out and yep. traveling around the, the country and about to go to Europe. And once I... The millennial out, thing, live in mom's basement, you know? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> just kidding. So, just kidding. It was the perfect thing to do, save some money. Um, yeah. But no, I, you know, I was waiting to actually look for a job and just use that as a, a base of operations, so to speak. And I uh, bounced out to... To Europe, and the day I landed back in the U.S. Uh, from Europe, I had a missed uh, call, voicemail, and an email. And uh, you know, the firm had hit me up and said, "Hey, we want to interview you for this job if you're interested." So, a week after I got back from Europe, thanks, man. I locked in the job, and the rest is history. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, dude, that's but, uh, that's cool. Said the only thing that I wish that I had learned before I got out, um, and this is going to be preaching to the choir for any, any veterans that are out there is, you know, known if I wish I had known a little bit more about the VA process, disability, homeownership, all that stuff. Uh, that yep. is not that well done. No, not at all. I totally agree, yeah. dude. I'm, I'm going through some issues with it right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, especially I think, and for a lot of us, first of all, to both you guys, I just have to say, you know, well done on a very ballsy decision because I think a lot of people they stay in the military and you're almost like a those little fish that uh, like clamp on to the bottom of the the nurse sharks and the big whales. You know, when you when you can't make that decision to to leave, and you just sort of latch on and you just ride the wave because the military they do it's hard but they do hand you a lot of stuff. You know, you get healthcare, you get life insurance, you get housing allowance, you get living expenses, you get all these different things. Yeah. But real life does not give you that. And obviously we, you know, there's a lot of responsibility and a lot of risk and a lot of responsibility that comes with putting on that uniform, but real life is different. And that's ballsy. Like you guys, you know, cutting that cord and, getting out into the world um it's way different man it is way different and i'm just proud of you guys for doing that and for coming on here and telling the the people what they want you know like let them know 
uh, what the what the challenges are, and that's awesome. But yeah, yeah, dude, Midas, I know that you've got you've got your own experiences with the whole transition process, and um, <laughs> some different, some similar. But I'd love to I'd love to get a little take on you know your first bites you know in the first year of your uh new civvy life now you're just a dirty contractor and uh well not really but uh i'd love to i'd love to pick your brain a little bit about what that's been like for you yeah yeah so let's see i just cleared uh six months as a civilian technically so it's definitely yeah thanks dude (laughs) it's uh it's been interesting man and you know, looking at the title of this podcast, right? Like, is the grass greener? And it, it all depends. It, it all depends. Um, it just, it depends on who you are as a person and what you want in life, ultimately. And I know it sounds like super generic and, you know, kind of lame, but at the same time, it's it's very true. So, you know, one of the things that you said about kind of taking that leap of faith and, and jumping out into the world in a sense, that's definitely true because you're leaving behind that safety net of the BAH of, you know, just, you don't even have to like decide what to wear to work every day, you know, for the most part, (laughs) like even on the soft side, you still wear a uniform and garrison a lot. So it's just like your five outfits. Yeah, dude, it's easy. Some of the dirtier ones, you have one outfit, you hang it in the closet, you put it on a Monday. Hopefully you put it in the washer on Friday afternoon. Yeah, uh, it doesn't always happen, but right. Yeah, it's like you're you're you see your own little ecosystem, right? And it's because it's not sure. And people say lifestyle, but there's more to it than just lifestyle. It's the entire environment that that you're around. So it's different, dude. It's it's definitely different. Um, so I guess I'll go a little bit further in depth as to like why we kind of find ourselves out in the civilian world. I want to say we, I'm going to mainly target a specific audience and that's going to be a lot of the men and women who joined to serve their country, uh, had super high expectations and high hopes and then like looked around them and they're like, what the fuck is this? You know, you kind of have that like, oh shit moment where you're like, really? Like these are the kinds of people I'm surrounded by and like, and just the ripple effects of that are enormous. Right. So that's kind of my, my, my target audience based off of my uh, experience. Right. But you know, cause I, I get that a lot and I used to get it a lot when I was interviewing for companies, kind of what Irish was talking about, put your resume out there. Companies are scooping it up and I got this same question over and over and it was like, well, you seem to have had a very successful career in the army. Why are you choosing to leave? And that was twofold, right? They want to see, are you actually committed to leaving? And two, I think there's just legitimate curiosity there. And it's like, are you a shitbag? Is that why you're leaving? Exactly, dude. <laughs> exactly. So because people, yeah, they see that. Yeah, it says honorable discharge, but like, but you got discharged. And people think that's a negative thing. It's not, but. You almost feel like when you go into those interviews, you have to like defend yourself. That's yeah. Not how it should be, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of an awkward spot to be in, right? Because on one hand, you have to like make sure everything you're about to say is 
uh, kosher with like a corporate atmosphere or depending on whoever you're applying to. Right. But at the same time, like I, I couldn't say, Oh, well, I'm just at the point of being absolutely mentally jaded and drowned out by toxic leadership that I just honestly don't give a fuck anymore. Like I, I'm not going to say that to a future employer. Right. So then I had to really dig deep and analyze like the reasons for elevator pitch me getting out. No, no, it's not my shark tank pitch. That's for sure. That's not your shark little, tank. little different from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Exactly. So then I, I didn't take it as like a, how do I fabricate this? I took it as an opportunity to really analyze those reasons a little bit better and take some time to decide like, Hey, this is the actual reason why I want to get out. Cause you can't just say toxic leaders. Like that's, that's not really, that doesn't capture the essence of why. Um, it's just one reason, but you know, on that topic, that was a big thing for me, man. I, I had like some serious toxic leadership, like right off the bat, like right out of the gate, man. It was just, put a really sour taste in my mouth. You know, I'm, I'm not a person who doesn't forgive, but I don't really forget either. And it's just, I don't know, man. It, it like produced this jaded kind of cloud over me at one point that I really had to step back. And I'm like, damn, like and it's, you, you guys know me, uh, you know, the listeners probably don't, but uh, it's it's hard to describe it's like i'm definitely an optimist i'm always willing to give it another shot but it's like damn if i keep walking through these doors and i keep getting hit in the face over and over and over it's like damn all right something's got to give here and that that's kind of the analogy i'll use i just kept getting hit in the face um you, you name it i had it happen right like i had soldiers that try to kill their spouses i had a, uh, I had a black battalion commander who, when I requested to go to airborne because I was number one qualified officer in the battalion, was told that there was no airborne slots because they didn't want to create a situation of, and I quote, haves and have nots amongst their officers. And then a week later, tried to give it to a black female who was heinously underqualified and who later medboarded two days after I had requested to go. So it's just like constant kicks in the nuts, you know, metaphorically. And you're just like, really? Like, is this, is this actually the army that I signed up for? Like, cause this, this doesn't look like it. Um, you know, my first company commander, he'd leave to play basketball at three o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, myself and all the other PLs, we would work to like six every single night at a minimum, just trying to keep the unit afloat. Like all the admin stuff that goes on behind the scenes that you really need a commander to help you with especially being your first unit. Like you don't know Jack. Yeah. So you're just trying to, to doggy paddle and hope that you have somebody that is along and uses the ropes a little bit. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah, dude. Bailing. So it's just like this perfect storm of just absolute shittiness, <laughs> you know, for the first part of my career, it was just yeah. like, what? Like nonstop. Um, and I, I did, uh, I actually attended the same, same commissioning source that Irish did. That's where we first initially met a long time ago. And that particular commissioning source had a, a really good long line of SF cadre that were pretty much always stocked up with anywhere from two to three long tabbers on staff there for the, the army department. And 
So as awesome as that was, looking back, I realized that they just painted this completely unrealistic picture of like how competent a non-commissioned officer would be in the army. And that came to an absolute screeching halt in my first unit. You know, I had this platoon sergeant who was a figure, which I had been taught over and over and over, trust them. They're going to guide you. They're going to mentor you. They're going to show you the ways of the army and all this other stuff that, that we don't have time to teach you here. And I was like, all right, sweet. And then, you know, a month into my first uh, platoon, I fired my platoon sergeant because he was an absolute shitbird, and I ended up doing his job and my job. And yeah, it was just, it was a mess, dude. And my first sergeant didn't fight me at all. I was like, top, I need this guy gone. And he's like, yep, no problem. And it was like, Holy crap, dude. If you know he's a turd, why is he my platoon sergeant? Like, come on, guys. Like, so, dude, yeah, it's just like. I even leave me with that, you know? Leave me with this pile of poo. Yeah. Hey, man, it, it's political even at the, the, the platoon level, man. Like, I had You're the same right. thing. I yeah. went through three platoon sergeants before I got one that was good. And once you got a good one, you know, like, I took over this platoon that was the worst in my company by far. And after four months and three platoon sergeants, you know, I was able to turn it around. You know that we're we're rocking and rolling, but I mean, what Mida said is is absolutely true. If you have a bad one, it's bad, real bad. Yeah. And you got to fight in order to get a good one. Yeah, dude. Well, it's kind of crazy the parallels that we had, you know, as our, our first unit assignments. They're just absolute shit shows, and it that's just not a good spot, man. It's not a good spot to put somebody who's driven, who's highly motivated, and who wants to go above and beyond. You know, that it's counterintuitive. You think that's the guy you want to send into these types of places to fix them and get things back on track. But in reality, all you're doing is you're crushing their career immediately, like right off the bat. And, and I hate to say it, but, you know, if this place is a cesspool and you can either put a stud or a turd in there, like putting a stud in there sounds good on paper, but just throw a freaking turd in there. Just let them let a bob around because it's just it's really dehabilitating to anybody who actually is driven uh okay well, i mean i would be a little counter to the argument here real quick is that you know those struggles at the beginning of my career with these crap platoon sergeants actually made me a better officer because i had to take a couple of those generally normal senior nco type tasks to heart in order to get that platoon going and, and as a you know, officer commissioning source and no enlisted experience behind me other than, you know, our Corps of Cadets, which doesn't count at all, by the way. Um, I, I feel like it, it really made me a better person because I understood a little bit better, kind of talked the soldier talk a little easier, came off that, you know, that mountain that soldiers like to put you on as an officer, like, oh, he's on a pedestal way up here, took you down as a human being, they understood you're a person too, you just happened to be their leader, you know, it, it was a good bonding experience for the platoon, even as we struggled through together. That's just my counter to that argument. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't even say it's a counter because I agree with you. Um, I think for your own personal development, you're totally spot on. Uh, I think it just comes down to like the good of the unit. Some units just absolutely suck. Like it's, <laughs> you need generations of PCS cycles just to change the, the culture there. So yeah, I guess that's more so what I was getting at. You know, I, I just, I hate HRC. So um <laughs> yeah just being honest um 
but yeah, yeah. So, and how I ended up in that situation was like I commissioned to go over to EOD. Uh, that was kind of what I felt my calling was, you know, not like an adrenaline junkie, but definitely more attracted to danger and purpose, I guess. And those things tend to go hand in hand in the military. So, um, and, and like right off the bat, guys, like my paperwork, along with about 50 other officers, was lost for our initial interviews that basically the EOD guys would green light us and give us the thumbs up to proceed uh, to EOD phase one and all that stuff was lost. And it wasn't just me. Like I said, there was about 50 other, other guys and girls who all happened to interview in the same like two day cycle and all that stuff went up in smoke. And all they did was say, oops, like, Hey guys, if all your interviews are missing from two days of interviewing, perhaps you made a mistake. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, dude, it was just, it was bad. It was bad. Like my first couple of years were not fun guys, not fun at all. Um, but good news is kind of what, uh, what Irish was saying is like all those really crap lessons do make you a better leader. It makes you a better officer. Uh, it can make you a better NCO if you're in a crap unit, as long as you stay above it. That's the key part. Don't get sucked in. Because if you get sucked in, then you're just another turd in the punch bowl, right? And it's tricky. It's tricky. Um, Keeping your mindset above that is really tough, especially when you're in it for years and years. Dude, yeah. Yeah, and, and once again, it's an ecosystem. It's not a lifestyle. You're surrounded by it. You're in a fish tank, and if the water's poison, it's poison. You know, you got to be careful. Um. And then kind of what Irish, same thing, man. I, I took the uh, the fatal misstep of exposing competence. And then all of a sudden it was like I was in billets that were for ranks higher. You know, I was a lieutenant serving in a captain billet. And I was just getting everything heaped on my plate nonstop. I was like the go-to guy to solve everyone's freaking problems. And it, it was such a formative experience. And I'm grateful for it now. But at the same time, it's brutal, man. It was brutal. It was just like, it was absolutely ridiculous. So I hit the point where I was like, I need to get out of here. But my heart wasn't fully out of the game. It's still not out of the game, right? Um, you know, that's why we've got the team. But I was like, you know what? I got to go do something more. I can't cash out like this. And I had some good mentors at the time. Her, I had one specifically sure. who's trying to get me over to Ranger Bat and, you know, year groups got in the way and I got injured and tore a, a labor in my shoulder. So I had to heal up for that. So I, I missed out on that boat, which really sucks. They really want to go to RASP. That would have been a really good time. Um, then I ended up just dropping a soft packet and, and going over to that side of the house and partying for a bit. And I realized, uh, that, that particular side of the house that I was kind of dead set on when I had submitted my packet turned out to be, sorry guys, but another, another punch bowl full of turds. And I was like, Oh my God, like what is happening? You know? And it was one of those things I just, we get into that a whole nother time, but, uh, you know, if, if you're an officer looking to go over to soft, just go to SF. Don't dabble in all the other bullshit. Just go SF. 
that's my uh, that's my big big think for the day. <laughs> Anyhow, and then I ended up getting a call uh, as a result of all that to uh, go over to Afghanistan and you know stay behind the curtain and do some uh, advising of some commandos, and I mainly focused on counter narcotics ops and. And that was just super awesome and it was like super fulfilling. And once again, you know, I'm echoing what Irish said, like the deployments were, that was the best life available in the military. Um, and I was just, I was really enjoying what I was doing, especially in the second half of my deployment. I know you kind of missed it out on that Da Vinci, but that was, it got pretty, Thanks pretty so wild. I know. Yeah. Sorry, dude. <laughs> you kind of had that shit half, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know, dude. I know. I'm sorry. But, you know, it was it was just one of those experiences that, that put me in a really tough spot, guys. I was like, you know, I, I absolutely enjoy what I'm doing. I'm having a great time. Yeah, it's dangerous as hell. We got money on our heads. We're doing all kinds of wild stuff. But that's what made it awesome. That's what I loved about it. And we we're having a really good impact. You know, we were forcing the Taliban to come to the negotiating table. And we were making it happen. Um, but the flip side of that is, so by doing the job that I loved, I was also taking myself out of the fight at home and away from the woman that I loved, which was my wife. So kind of hit that wall. I was like, damn. So I finally found the spot in life where I'm rocking and rolling. I'm really enjoying it, but it's coming at a pretty severe cost. You know, well, I didn't, right? I ended up working out. But if I continued down that road, which I, I was, uh, heading to a, a different regiment there to go work for them, it it just would have been incredibly taxing. So it's something that I struggled with, but I ended up go ahead and, and making that leap and, and getting out. Um, and yeah, I mean, I had a nice in with a government agency that I'd worked with over there, overseas. Um, but they had recruiters in D.C. that completely dragged their feet. And they kind of expected me to have an eight-month gap from my ETS date until I showed up at their training academy. Which was a complete joke, because if you're competent and you've got a hat on your shoulders, you're not going to be freaking jobless for eight months. Uh, and if you're already secured to go be a federal agent, why the fuck are you going to go join a local PD and subject yourself to all the stuff we see cops having to deal with now? So it, it just, yeah, no kidding. that's a flawed system in itself as well, which is super frustrating. Um, yeah, but eight months, man, that's actually short compared to some of those other agents <laughs> out there. So, yeah, it was. Yeah. You, you yeah. got the, uh, you got the nice gap, nice thigh gap right there. Yeah, yeah, which even more proves my point, right? It's just completely asinine. Like, what what kind of people do they think? Well, you're just going to chill at home in mom's basement eating Cheetos and doing some push-ups for a year and a half? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that was primo hunting season when I got out, you know? I, I actually <laughs> took a job during hunting season, which is the reason why yeah. I didn't want to get a job when I did. I mean, thankfully I did because, you know, I got in before Rona hit. But, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. hell, I, I was, I was going to wait till January to start applying for jobs. That's fair. That's fair. But I mean, but, if you, but you set yourself up for that too. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah, Ooh. I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Which exactly. I, the, I was what not. What everybody would like to do is, you know, you've got some money in the bank, ready to travel, you're ready to do this and that. Get out in August, tune your bow in early September, travel early in the season <laughs> before all the deer are in the rut. Get yeah, back exactly. right the deer in the rut. 
slay some deer for two and a half months. Go snort in the chop. woods. Let's venison all winter. Then you're good. Yeah. 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 Obviously, not everybody, everybody is in that same situation. And we understand that. And yeah. for my deployment, you know, obviously, Midas and I, we deployed together. And hey, now, I was there it, too. Come on now. Pretend like Irish wasn't across the, you know. You lived on the hilltop. side of the fence, okay. You know, I was on the other side of the hill. We're neighbors. <laughs> you know, we could call and play basketball together. We kept on. thinking the grass was greener, just like we're talking about now, you know. I, it might I have been greener a, up there. It might have been greener down here. You I know? had a guest room at your place. You had a guest room at mine. Come on. True. That's right, man. We had, yeah, had special maple syrup at mine, so <laughs> <laughs> that's what's up. UCIA. What? Can we say that? Uh, I don't know. We'll just call them the agency. One of those, one of those companies, <laughs> a company. Yeah, yeah. yeah they were, man. They I were mean, we were dealing with the same thing. You know, I had a woman back home. We both got married as soon as we got back. Like, yeah, want to lose those relationships and no, no, dude, you, you don't because if you think it's about it, it's a juggling act. It's a constant juggling act because what you are really in it to win it you love those experiences and we all did we all love those experiences oh, at what cost or to your personal life to your relationships exactly there's only so much exactly. that man can take or a woman can take and that's something that everybody has to decide for themselves and I'm not here to tell anybody one way or the other just giving you our experiences and it's different for everybody, you know, and I've chosen to stay in. I'm not saying that I'm going to do the whole time. That's my goal right now because I'm still enjoying what I'm doing. Right. Do you stop enjoying it? It becomes way political. I mean, I, it's already political for me too, but I can dance around that a little bit and still enjoy my job. And you can't I mean, do that. If you ask me, I, I make the same mistakes yeah. over and over again. So, you know. Yeah. 100% we do the same thing. Yeah. It's no, definitely. definitely. Everybody has to play, but. But like yeah. you hit on a, a really important thing that I want to highlight. And if you are not in a toxic, shitty relationship, kind of stuff we see on TikTok boots or dependent diaries on Instagram, you know, it's like if you actually find that person who's your soulmate for real. No bullshit. You find them. Bullshit. No dude, dependas. That is, that's nuts. Because if you think about the amount of people on this planet, right? And you actually found the one that was for you. That's really cool. And then if you have like a couple near death experiences where stuff really hits the fan and you're like, damn, literally at the snap of a finger, I could have eaten a freaking round or gotten blown up and then I never see that person again and then they have to live their whole life without me. You can act all tough all day long. But when you have that realization, you're like, oh shit. Like that's <laughs> that's a that's real talk right there. Yeah, for sure, man. That's a big deal. That is a big deal. But yeah, and then you know, started getting back on track here. Um no, we took a rabbit hole, but it was a good rabbit hole. It was a good rabbit hole. Uh, 
what Iris said, you know, about SFL tap and all these, these classes that are available because of how tight my timeline was. Like I got back in the country and I was ETSing four months later. And when I walked in the SFL tap office, they're like heads started spinning. They were like puking out green shit. They were freaking out. They were like, what? You can't do that. Oh, I'm like, well, here's my orders. So I guess I'm doing that. And then they're like, well, you need to take all these classes and you can't even get all these in in four months. And I was like, would it help if I had a job letter? And they're like, what? How do you have a job letter? I was like, because I'm not an idiot. And I was proactive. So I showed them a signed job offer uh, that I had received a week prior to my current job that I, I ended up going through uh, the whole JMO thing, JMO recruiting firm. Uh, and, you know, I ended up landing a, a really good job. Like it's, it's a top tier job, um, which of course means it has top tier bullshit. But at the same time, I'm, I'm definitely grateful for it. And I would not have come up with this job by any means without that JMO recruiter. But I will say I was very frustrated along that route. You know, they were really pushy. Like what I said, I was like redeploying. I was, you know, getting home, taking leave, going to see my mom and, you know, actually spending time with my wife who I had, you know, hadn't seen in a long time. And they're like, oh, you need to attend this resume class. And I'm like, what the hell, dude? Like, seriously? But at the end of the day, we made it work. We put in the hours and the effort and uh, it, it it did pay off. I will say they, they sold me a bit of a line on my company. It's not quite as good as they made it out to be, but uh, that's that's just how it goes. You know, it's it's still a lot better than a lot of other places I could have ended up. So, yeah, no doubt. Oh, been that went from. No, if I want to say jaded, but I'm yeah. gonna say jaded. Yeah, that's accurate. Sure. Burnout officer to finding out where that calling that you felt for so many years aligned with reality doing cool stuff in the stand you had this idea of the army right? and you went through the process of getting commissioned and going to schools and all the different stuff that goes on with that how did your attitude shift in especially immediately post-deployment when you're going from exactly what you wanted to do the entire time here in the army we both enjoyed you know that's the whole thing that i wanted to do when i was in the air force was what we did while we were deployed yeah and yeah and you take that experience immediately shift to joining a civilian company grounded in technology you basically had i'll give you the i'll give you minimal experience but you basically had no experience with it yeah How did that uh, how did that attitude shift from what you did in the stand to what you're doing now? Oh man. Uh, yeah, dude, it, it was weird. It was definitely a big shift. Um, but fundamentally, you know, if your eyes are open and you're actually a functioning human being and you're, you're high speed in the military, well, excuse me. I just, uh, had like a weird burp there. Um, a lot you of the in your mouth a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I did. Just thought about joining a civilian company and you just threw up in your mouth. Just, 
I know. Well, a, that was my response a couple of years back. more reason. <laughs> yeah. But you were thinking about going back. Oh, okay. No, for real. It was just like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like all those things that you get beat into your head and like receiving a piece of paper in the mail as orders and then just packing up all your shit and moving across the country. And like, maybe you communicate with somebody from that unit. Maybe you don't or like deploying that way uh and, and going over to another country the intent to to do harm to a bunch of baddies and all those things build like supreme levels of adaptation and resiliency you know and, and people talk about oh improvise adapt overcome bear girls yeah yeah but in reality if you're doing it right throughout your military career you gain those skills and that's one of the reasons why civilian employers are increasing their veteran recruiting, right? And sure. dude, I mean, on the soft side of the house too, like, yeah, so it's a very stark contrast between um, Afghanistan and, and where I live now, obviously, right? And, and incredible ways. Oh, no kidding. But. Different? Oh, it's very. It's very different, but at the same time, it doesn't matter to me. Like it's, uh, I don't know. I, I got to the point where I kind of felt at home over there doing what we were doing and I felt comfortable doing mm -hmm. it. And once you gain a level of comfort doing that, there's not too many things that are going to make you uncomfortable. Um, yeah, for sure. And there's that fine line dude of like going with the flow, but also being proactive. You can't overstep either boundary cause then you're going to trip. And you're going to mess up. So it's, you know, you're like slipping and sliding kind of, and just trying to figure out how to navigate down this, this icy mountain pass. And you're just figuring it out as you go at high speed, by the way. And it's worked out. It's worked out. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the sheer at high speed, <laughs> always at high speed. Oh yeah. But like the, something that, people need to understand, especially on the, the veteran side, or if you're active duty right now, is that there's a level of honesty that occurs on active duty. If you're in a good command, if you're in a shit command, it's not going to be there. But if you're in a good command, there's honesty and candor that happens that therefore results in higher efficiency and it makes you a better organization because people who are, aren't pulling their weight get called out and they get treated as such. People who are going above and beyond are treated as such in a good way, not ridden into the ground until they want to die. So that level of honesty is super important. And you don't see that in a lot of civilian companies. And that is one of the big reasons why veterans are being recruited and hired. Because we bring this give a shit attitude almost into a room where especially where I work now, you've got generational stuff going on here because Johnny's fucking dad ran over so-and-so's lawn flamingo and he was drunk in 1989 and then they shot at each other and you're like, really? Like that actually happened? And they're like, yeah. So you come into the room and you're like, hey dude, I don't give a shit about your family feud. Shut up. Here's how we're going to accomplish this task. And surprisingly, people really appreciate that. So it's definitely something to take home, especially if you're still active duty or if you've recently separated or have any experience. You know, people value that candor that you bring to the table. 
that you hopefully bring to the table uh, and can provide to the to the industry because a lot of people want to tiptoe through the tulips these days and everybody wants to cater to everybody's feelings and yeah. I'm not saying you shouldn't have a little bit of empathy but sure I'm in oh if yeah there's bullshit going on speak about the bullshit yeah and just have it out have it out and uh bye to it bye. no for sure man I mean emotional intelligence is so key and it, yeah, it's got to be sure. on par sure. with your candor or else once again, yeah. you're going to trip, <laughs> you know, and, and you can be a firm, respectable person without being a toxic asshole. Definitely hard to believe for a lot of you leaders in the army. <laughs> yep. I would start, I'd start naming people, but pew. I don't really feel like stooping to their level. Uh, but yeah, dude, and, and I feel like, you know, Irish has probably seen a, a very similar thing in his environment. It's like, it's almost refreshing when, when guys like us come in the room and just start taking charge. They're like, oh, okay, sweet. Like, yeah, dude, sure. So, that being said, had this shift in attitude uh, I guess you both have had uh, a shift in purpose to a to a point obviously we still got the team so we're still building towards uh, the purpose that we kind of lived in for so many years and I'm still still living it um, what is the what does the shift in purpose look like for you guys as you're now Post-transition, the Jenner kind, again. <laughs> Post-transition. I'll jump in there quick, uh, just because yeah. Yeah, sure. been out a little bit longer than you, Midas. Um, but for me, you know, that the focus, that shift in purpose, it was no longer living 24-7 for a phone call that I was expecting to have to get called in because some soldier got a DUI at 2 in the morning, and I had to answer for why he was an idiot. Right. Yeah. So I was able to focus more on myself, which is awesome. Probably the best part of the fact is that, you know, for the job I'm working right now, I turn my phone off. You know, I have a work phone. If it's not during the working hours and I don't I'm not going to be, you know, increasing my utilization to work extra hours that week. Sorry, I'll, I'll see you at eight you know, the next morning. We'll talk about it then. I'm not taking your phone call at 630 p.m. Hey. I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I'm able to focus on, you know family a whole lot more i have a lot more free time uh, i can it's great i mean I, it's just the, the additional freedom there the little stuff like leave i don't have to burn my days off on a weekend like you do in the military <laughs> right so oh, we love that, it, don't we? it's expected that the weekends you're off you're not expected to work there right so when i use my personal time it's a monday through friday personal time thing so you can take those two weeks and only use you know 10 days worth of, of hours but sure. uh, I'd say it's it's been great for me. I love it. That's awesome, man. I'm glad that glad that that experience has been as good as it's been for you. Right. It'll be a year here at the end of the month, and uh, I don't regret anything. No regrets, <laughs> not even a letter. Congrats. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> yeah. Nice. No regrets. Hell yeah. Um. Yeah, dude. For me, it was a little bit harder. 
I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I had this conversation with my mother this weekend. She came to visit me. Um, you know, I, I was just, I was born to fuck shit up, you know, <laughs> in a good way, not in like some stupid, immature way. It's like, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't get to do that anymore. I don't, I don't have that, that sense of purpose attached with, you know, putting things in motion that put bad people in their place and, and put them down. I, I really miss that, man. That's, that's such an amazing feeling. It's just, for me, it, that, I don't know. So yeah, like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just like, it's not even tangible. It's just like energy, man. It's pure energy. So, you know, and now it's like, I guess my biggest crisis has been completely juxtaposed from, you know, mass cows with like 35 commandos bleeding out on the pad to some, some customer freaking out hard about a, uh, a household appliance production line in which a robot is one millisecond slower than expected. So then I'm sitting there asking myself, I'm like, does this device kill anyone? No. Okay. Did someone die? No. So why are we acting like this is a huge deal? And then I come up yeah. empty, you know, and it sucks, man. And it, I know it's extreme perspective and I get that. I'm not saying it's the right way to think, but at the same time, dude, like when you can actually look at situations and, and process them in that manner, it really makes little stuff seem small and it can be a good thing too. You know? uh, yeah, it definitely doesn't have to be a bad thing when you have that, you have that bandwidth for, really big things you know and it it definitely allows you to handle that crisis crisis um air quoting very hard yeah yeah crisis because obviously the crisis that you normally deal with in the military sometimes you know it's bullshit uh it's just a political crisis but sometimes it's you know a lot of times especially when you're deployed it's very much a crisis like it's an actual life or death crisis and then to take that attitude and that perspective take it to you know robots using the wrong piece of metal like an appliance uh that's you know gonna wash your dishes or you know, wash your clothes or whatever that's tough yeah that's tough man it's a big big transition is to make it's really tough to make yeah, and like the flip side of that, man, if my biggest crisis, crises were, um, I don't know, the, the Burger King on Bagram ran out of fries, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm on the jock all night long. I don't know what to stuff in my face, or oh, my C-17's late, and I can't put this pallet on, so now I have an overflow of my warehouse. Oh my God. Just eat some rice and some chai, and you're good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I, I'm not talking about that. And I'm not I'm not meaning to downplay anybody else's stuff because if those were what my crises looked like, then I wouldn't be struggling the way I am now. But if you go from like people dying sure. or people living, no shit, a hundred percent, not theoretical, like that is the stark reality of the situation. And you do that like day in and day out for 
months, it's just like, damn, you know, <laughs> you know, it's weird. It's really weird. So I would just say like, before you do transition, if you're thinking about it, just really take that into account, guys. If you've been out there doing legit stuff, it's going to be harder. It's going to be harder. Um, just, just got to go with the flow. <laughs> it's tricky. Yeah, um, for sure. But, um, and then, you know, one other ahead. thing Irish mentioned was the, the VA process. You know, I, I literally, I got a letter back, uh, from one of my VA claims last week. I, I sent that out to the team to show you guys. And it like, basically some, ridiculous, man. Some, that, is, that is some ridiculous shit. Some woman who, I don't even know if she's a doctor or not. I'll just call her doctor. man. Call her no, doctor. They may have a weird name. True. Now she seemed like a, no, I, I met her. She was a woman. Nothing to do with the fact that she's a woman. She, yeah, no, no. All right, we'll call her Doctor Doctor Lady, Doctor Doctor Lady, uh, who conducted my hearing test for my rampant tinnitus, which is ringing right freaking now, uh, in a sugar hair removal spa. It's actually just me whistling. You just can't hear it. Uh nice. At the decibel of dog dog hearing. So you're actually like Spider Man. Oh, excellent. That's good, man. That's good. <laughs> but yeah, it was a sugar hair removal place I pulled up to and that's where they did my hearing test. Not even kidding. And it during that hearing test, she made an assessment that the probability that helicopters and gunfire and explosions caused my tinnitus uh were low. And I was like, first okay, of all, thanks. we never even talked about any of that <laughs> shit. She asked me what loud noises I've been around. I was like, well, this, this, and this, and this. Didn't ask how, didn't ask when, didn't ask why. And I'm not going to sit there and start bringing out stories for this freaking doctor lady. So I didn't say anything. I didn't like proceed down memory lane with this random freaking woman in a sugar hair removal spa about why my hearing's shit. Because of all the helicopter rides I've been on and all this and all that. It's like, no, I mean, so it, it's just, it's complete asinine. So I don't know, guys, that that's something that I totally agree with Irish. I mean, the class on that just doesn't even scrape the surface. There's all oh, kinds nice. of stuff. And I got to say one thing is the public service announcement because I got dicked out of $8,000. When you process a mortgage with a VA home loan and pay attention guys and gals. There is a funding fee that you pay with that mortgage. It gets wrapped into your loan as a closing cost. If you set it up as such. Mine was just shy of $8,000. It's supposed to be a percentage of your loan. And it's just something that the VA says, Oh, here's uh, the fee for our time and trouble. First of all, your freaking government agency is supposed to be helping veterans reassimilate back into normal society, which is what this podcast is about. And you're literally stealing money from people that they could have used as a down payment with an actual civilian bank, potentially even got a better interest rate. But here's where it gets worse. In my case, if you close on a house, 
but you have an open VA claim and you are then assessed a percentage for that claim, they are supposed to refund you that funding fee. But guess what guys, if you're coming off of active duty, the effective date of your claim is your last day on active duty. So mine was one February, 2020. I closed on my house a week prior to that because I wasn't gonna live out of a freaking hotel with my wife and our dogs and I was on terminal leave. If I would have waited an additional week, then I would have closed after my eligible date of disability compensation and they would have had to reimburse me $8,000 funding fee. Damn. I'm not even kidding. Like that's the kind of shit oh. that is like highway robbery, man. It is straight freaking larceny. It's insane. Yeah. It's nutty, dude. I got to I gotta file a congressional or something on that. Because it's not just me. I, I can only imagine how many people oh, yeah. that has happened to. Sure. It's crazy, I, dude. And like if I would have known that. Because you're looking for a job. You're looking for a house. You're looking for a place to live. It's insane. Yeah, dude. Insane. And no one tells you, bro. No one tells you jack about that at all. They like didn't, They didn't put that in taps, huh? No. No, I think <laughs> they missed that part. Yeah, they might have left that one out. So anyhow, because it's run by the VA. Yeah. Sorry about that segue, guys. That just came into my head, and that is an important thing that could save you guys literally thousands of dollars. That oh, by the way, when you buy a new house, you need shit for your house, which is perfect. So anyhow, please continue. I apologize. Yeah, man. I mean, I think they did you dirty on that one. Uh, is just wrong and it's definitely something that should be part of the process but the education system's flawed the getting out process is flawed and we don't want that to I'm not trying to jade anybody either way you know we're not trying to aid your perspective on one way or the other getting out or staying in it's it's just i'm grateful for these guys getting on here and spitting the truth and telling you what was actually up about the process of getting out you know it's not all all sunshine and daisies and uh the greener grass on the other side you know there's definitely benefits you know you have some more time Irish was talking about you know you have a little bit you get to choose a little bit you know you get to choose what you wear uh, which is a very small piece of it, but for some people it's big. You know, you get to actually decide what you're going to wear at work. Yeah, true. It's, it's not all bad, and that's want to give you guys an honest perspective instead of what any JMO is going to tell you or uh, any other recruiting office that says this is what it's going to be like when you get out. And we would just want to give you guys the straight up: this is what it's actually like when you get out. And yep, you've got other benefits you know you've got education benefits you got stability but you know actually going down to the va and hanging out with the other vets and you know, I don't know Midas, have you done that yet have you guys uh have you guys had any interaction with us through the va or any other um any other outlet no no i mean i bumped into a couple that are pretty cool I actually work with a few guys who are pretty legit um, 
other than that, like there's a dude who owns like the local gun shop here who's super legit, but I tend to not uh, want to really talk to other veterans that I don't know. And I'm going to sound douchey, but it comes down to, I don't know, man, there's just so many turds that I've encountered in the military that it's just like, and I, I keep having this horrible luck of like finding more of them. I'm like, damn, like where, where are these, where are the cool guys at? You know, like it's, they're probably all around, you know, Fort Bragg retiring in <laughs> North Carolina or something, but yeah, I just, you know, there's just because you're a veteran, I guess my, my whole point there is doesn't mean that you're any better than anybody else. Uh, it just gives you the tools that could easily make you one of the best guys in the room. That's, that's my two it's whether cents. Whether or not you choose to use those tools and, in a good way or a bad way, or you just choose to be a tool. It's also an option. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that's that's Hello. very true. Hey, there is Jetpack Boomer. What's up, Boomer? Oh, all right, guys. Good news. Good news. Just joining us right now, late as hell, because he's out there boxing, bettering himself and his body, is the man formerly known as Jetpack. I say formally because his new name is Boomer. Or sooner. <laughs> because he <laughs> likes to blow things up and because he has the technological knowledge of a freaking Boomer. As evidenced by him blowing into our <laughs> recording session <laughs> and not muting himself and sitting there like a good boy. And here we are. I also backed into my Maserati with my other car. <laughs> uh, yeah. Keep the fact that you have a Maserati to yourself. So now, now it's, I have it's to ugly though. It's all right. Boomer. It's an ugly Maserati. Now an ugly Maserati. I have to file a claim with USAA on yourself. For two vehicles damaged by my own hand. So <laughs> do you break your bifocals at the same time or what? <laughs> yes. I was trying to adjust the lumbar support on my seat. <laughs> And I threw it in reverse. And <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, guys, we're not making this up. This is not choreographed. This is raw footage right here. No, right I, I, really, I really wish I was kidding. That's part part of the reason why I'm, I'm late. Well, damn, Brew. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. You should probably call damn. the police on yourself. <laughs> Can you file a claim on yourself? I don't know. Oh, I'm sure it's we're, been done. USAA is pretty military friendly, so I got to figure out a way to spin this. No, they're not. <laughs> this, this podcast, they're not. Yeah, it's like, oh, I saw Charlie in the bushes, and I braked real hard, and then I threw it in reverse to run him over, and I hit my Maserati. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even know. Oh, well, you need my... jumping in. We're talking about uh, talking about some bennies. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it back. Yeah. We're talking about, we've talked about a lot of the positives and negatives of the VA and the active duty versus um, civilian life. But right. I also know that there's a lot of benefits. You know, we talk about ability, we talk about GI Bill, we can talk about healthcare benefits. You know, there it, it is a process to make that happen. The community, there is a great VA community um oh trans community not necessarily through the va 
know, there's great opportunities out there to connect and that's that's kind of where we're at right now and yeah. i know you being guardy boomer aka uh <laughs> somewhat in the civilian world somewhat in the military world and also Midas, your wife she you know she's uh five years in the navy so you guys have any um experiences you want to share from, from that perspective as far as like pack you've got a really unique perspective being a guardy then obviously Midas your wife you know she's got a really unique perspective and has some of the same struggles and some different ones yeah yeah also some different perspectives from uh from a vet standpoint so I don't know you guys jump in uh whoever wants to go first yeah, since Boomer's late, I'll go first. Um, <laughs> so wait just a little bit longer. Huh? <laughs> you, uh, well, he has to call USAA. So I <laughs> uh, call USAA and make up a story. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a great point, man. And you know, I'm I'm super proud of of how my wife has handled her transition. You know, like you said, she did five years in the Navy. Uh, ended up working for Spec Warfare. Had some really cool experiences, had a pretty sweet PCS station in there that just kind of opened up the world up to her, which is really cool. I mean, just definitely capitalized on that. And then elected to get out to pursue uh, educational opportunities and looking at getting into the medical field and hopping to pre-med. So, and she went to work on that really quickly and started using her GI Bill benefits, which now she's got her associates and she's actually just started uh, her fall semester on the, the pre-med train, digging deep into uh, neuroscience and, and bio, which is super awesome. And it's just, uh, it's just such a great example of somebody who you know, and she's held several jobs through this process, but at the same time, it's, it's not like she got out and went, went for a career because I remember when she was actually transitioning, she got back home from her class. I was like, Oh, who, who came to talk to you guys today? Cause it was supposed to be some employer day and she's like, Oh, Starbucks, Starbucks came. I was like, Oh yeah. Did you tell them to fuck off? Like, <laughs> Like this, this is the actual opportunity that the military is providing you is to go be a barista, like, or uh, manage a coffee shop. I was like, really? Like that's, that's the best we're doing for our, our sailors and soldiers right now. So, so I'm just super Baristas are the millennial world. Okay. They're trying to provide the best of the best for the best of the best. Yeah. That, that must be it. Well, despite all that selfless service, um, You know, it was just one of those things where it really made sense for her to get out and pursue her educational goals. And she's done that. She hasn't fallen off the train and she's, you know, keeping on, keeping on, which is just awesome. So I'm, I'm super, super pumped for that. Uh, also, would not hurt to have some PA or MD money flowing in the house. You know what I'm saying? I got to start my, my Maserati collection so I can uh, back into it like Boomer. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> but, but no, it's, you know, it's definitely awesome. And she's been very, very productive and just progressive in what she's doing. And it's just, it's a great use of resources. 
So, and I will say one thing though uh, about transitioning out of the military to pursue an education or further education from what you already have is that, you know, for the VA, you can actually get paid to go to school, which is pretty awesome, right? There's not many opportunities out there to actually do that. Um, and it's not bad money either. It's E5 BAH for your given area with dependents. So I think on average that comes in around like 1300, uh, for the United States of America, right? There's obvious exceptions to that, both up and down, depending on cost of living in the area. But I don't think we can kid ourselves, um, and think that you can just get out and just go to school and live off a of BAH. Like <laughs> there's no freaking way. I mean, if your car's paid off and if you're like living in your mom's basement or you got other living arrangements that you don't have to pay for or like a car payment or any of that, then you'll be able to squeak by, but it's not exactly going to be comfortable. So you really got to take that into account. Um, and that's one of the things like I've had, you know, no issue doing is like carrying the mortgage and, and whatever else, um, through the process simply because I understand like there's, and despite the fact that my wife does work and go to school, uh, it's still limited. It's not like you're working full time and going to school full time. Like you'd burn out. And then at that point you're just half-assing both. And that's, that's not what you're here to do. So, you know, it's one of those things, keep that in mind if that is your plan that you actually want to have some sort of support structure in place to allow you to do that. So word to the wise. So, as far as and so here this is this is boomer i'll see if i can redeem myself here <laughs> um, web <so>. redemption <laughs> did you say tosh point oh web, yeah, redemption? web redemption here we go <laughs> you gotta double cup it yeah oh boy okay. um <laughs> sorry so yeah so i'll touch on kind of my my unique perspective so so right you know i I, uh, I've, I've been in the guard this, this whole time for, for quite a few years. And, you know, I think the guard is, uh, we, we've had quite a few soldiers and actually some of, um, you know, a, a lot of our very good soldiers who came from active duty, uh, they weren't really sure what they wanted to do. They weren't quite ready to give up their military service. Uh, if they weren't, you know, if they weren't totally disenfranchised, they weren't ready to give it up completely. They still kind of wanted to feel it out and then pursue, uh, something on the civilian side. Um, and so the guard, the guard is a, uh, it's, it's kind of a, it's a unique, unique option. Um, I would say that my experience has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, I think it kind of varies state by state. I think that each state kind of has its own guard climate. Um, and because, you know, guard, guard the, the national guard is a state call it owned entity and so um the climate is kind of built at that level um but you know I've, I've been i've been in a few states guards and you know they've you know generally speaking they're all they're all pretty good um but it gives you kind of an opportunity to you know like if if you're getting out and you know let's just say you're you're going to school or you're working a job that may or may not have, you know, a full benefits package or something like that. Um, you, you can get all of that through the guard, you know, obviously you don't have to go through any special training. Uh, you already did, 
obviously your 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 basic training and your AIT, as long as you're not changing an MOS, it's a pretty seamless transition. Um, and it's a good way for you to kind of pick up, like I said, those those benefits. If you're not fortunate enough to have them uh, through your your, your full time employment, and it's also, you know, um, it's it's not a lot of money every month, but but it but it certainly does help, and it certainly pays pays bills. Yeah. Um, and now you know the guard has its own program with uh, tuition assistance, tuition reimbursement. Um, so it's it's a pretty you know it's a I think it's a pretty pretty attractive package uh, you know that that they put together for sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It'd be nice if you could tell all the uh, reserve CA recruiters to leave me the hell alone. <laughs> that would be nice. Well, and- and that's actually they want so, you, Big Daddy. They want you. So that is an interesting point. Um, my experience has been with the guard. So the reserve is actually a different. If if you're not aware, uh, you know. So the state is, uh, you know, kind of controls the national guard. Like I said, it's a state entity. The reserve right. is a federal entity, and so I don't have a lot of reserve experience. Uh, they they are two different entities that kind of have their own climates i would say they deploy differently they have different op tempos um i can't really speak to the reserve side too much mostly just just the guard but yeah that is a it is a separate entity when you when you start talking about the reserves yeah i'll get text messages (laughs) guys it'll literally say hey i'm like who is this like Oh, hi, this is Captain So-and-so. Have you thought about coming over to blah, blah, blah unit? I'm like, no, dude. What the fuck? <laughs> like, like, why are you texting Actually, me? Actually, no, I haven't. Like, it's oh, just, it's so weird, it's man. It's like, no, it's the reserves. Passive aggressive recruiting techniques are just strange, man. They're weird. <laughs> and we can, we can get into the differences between, you know, guard and reserve on on another podcast but yeah sure you touched on it fact a little bit about the uh a really good point that you made as far as thinking about getting out um and you don't want to totally bounce you have that option to go guard reserve and it's not a lot of money like you mentioned but it's still you know you get to stay connected you could put them put a uniform on a month or you know depending on what you want to do uh yeah whether it's that one month a year or weekend a month and you get to still stay connected to that community it depends on what state you're in if the climate's good it's good if it's not you know maybe it's not the best option but i think that's a really really great point to make for people that are about to get out is it yeah. doesn't have to be a clean cut ever the court and you're done right uh there's options to still stay connected to the community and still have those relationships and so if right. you're in the same job you know you can continue to do that um you've yep. got opportunities Definitely. to deploy like i know you're coming up on one so uh, yeah and I, I think the big thing i i think the big thing is you know, and you know, you can tell me if if I'm if I'm way way off base here, Midas. But I know, like, from a lot of my friends who uh, who spent a lot of time active duty, who went to military, like a military college, 
too. Like that's been like ever since they were 18 years old, like that's been their entire life. Like that, that's a, that's a pretty hard lifestyle to kind of just give up uh, kind of spontaneously. And it's like one day, one day you're used to living this very regimented lifestyle. And then the, the day that you, you get released, it's like, well, what do I do? Like that, that's a pretty, that's a pretty bold transition. So it kind of allows you to have more of like a soft, transition i guess where you you still kind of get some of that and and it's not binding you know i will say you know like guard enlistments it's not like you're you're signing up for another 10 years um you'd have to talk to your local recruiter but i mean i want to say you can even do like 12 or 24 month um you know enlistments and then at the end of that if if you don't like it you know that that's it uh there's not a lot of heartache uh you you just see ets and you're done yeah um so yeah um, that's a good I, you know, point I think, it's, I think it's worth a shot you know i think i think the benefits outweigh any of the 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 drawbacks all day long if you think that it's something that might work for you and if it doesn't then well i mean you're in a couple extra bucks you got some benefits out of it and then you you know the decision is is pretty clear in your mind that hey this isn't what i want to do anymore and you can go about your your civilian life yep no, I, I agree, man. I think using that term soft transition is actually super smart and it's really accurate because it kind of lets you down easy a little bit and that's ultimately a good thing. Yeah, man. I mean, you guys both made some really good points and Boomer, a Jetpack, a.k.a. Boomer, uh, not sure you land on... <laughs> What we're calling you but you're getting called boomer so i think the uh i think the soft transition i think that's a really good um advice as far as you're transitioning out and you're thinking about i don't want to leave this yeah i've been in this life since i graduated high school it's a really good point if you guys are thinking about getting out it's not a bad option or if you're already out you know just to say that you're already done doesn't mean you can't go can't go sign up and you know do some time with the guard or the reserve but i think that's a really good point um thanks for jumping on man really appreciate it Um, yeah of course irish midas you guys got some great experience as well i'm sure one day i'll be able to my own military or former military or uh, whatever spin you want to put on it, I'll be able to put my comments out there, but still rocking the active duty life. So thank you guys for shedding some light on uh, the mysterious world of uh, post taps or whatever, whatever it's called after you decide to transition out. And uh, it's been really enlightening for me. It's been painful because, you know, we see the, Sometimes we see the side that we think is greener and doesn't always turn out to be that way. But um, if you guys set yourself up, you take some time, you save some leaves, save some money, um, it can definitely be be a better transition than uh, sometimes of the, of the horror stories that we hear uh, yeah. about people getting out. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I think despite what I touched on about the purpose, not really being there the way it once was and not getting to do a lot of the cool stuff. 
I think the grass is greener just due to the quality of life. And you don't have some idiot calling you in on a Sunday telling you that you have to go stand in a motor pool because a private got a DUI. You know, it's it's the little things in life. I love those Saturdays for the boys and for the brigade, right? <laughs> there you go. Thank you guys uh, for listening in. Thanks, boys, for educating me a little bit since I'm still stuck in the active duty life. Um, it's been very educational and uh, very informative and I've been super appreciative. And we hope you guys enjoyed it as well, whether it's a morning, afternoon, evening, middle of the night, where you are in the world. Uh, we're just grateful that you guys took some time to tune in, um, listen, and hang out with us, educate yourself a little bit. If you have questions, hit us up. It's up on Instagram. Our tag is uh, at path underscore five. And uh, that's the word five, not the number five. And we just got a quick shout out. We're not getting paid for this. We've got a, a great company that we've been working with. We tested a lot of their gear. And uh, it's somebody we love. You guys know if you've been listening in. It's Mission First Tactical. We've got some the best furniture out there for any kind of um any kind of gun you're looking for so when you check out they've given us a lifetime uh, it's path five little p capital f and uh that'll get you 20 percent off at checkout so just tag that in there path five and uh we thank you guys again for joining us have yourselves a wonderful evening Adios, night, good afternoon, good morning.